We'll start in verse 14 this morning. But I want to mention a few things to you just um, so that you know what's uh, coming up. Uh, First, ladies, our uh, Rise event is happening with uh, our um, very own Beth Moore. Uh, It's uh, next Tuesday, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, May 9th. And uh, we definitely want every woman at Bayou City Fellowship to go, and uh, we want you to bring a friend with you. There are tickets out in the lobby. They're free, but it's helpful for seating if everyone has a ticket. So we want you to grab one for you. We want you to grab one for a friend, especially a friend, uh, ladies, who is uh, being pressed down right now, maybe pressed down by work, pressed down by family stuff, pressed down in health. Um, I promise if you bring them there, uh, they will be built up in Jesus' name. So grab a ticket for you, grab a ticket for somebody in your family and uh, a friend. So uh, also next Sunday morning, we have an incredible opportunity to have Dr. Robert Sloan, who's the president of Houston Baptist University. He's going to be our guest teacher that day. And uh, Dr. Sloan is an amazing communicator. You know, usually when I think about university people, I think boring But Dr. Sloan is not like that, an incredible communicator. He's going to bring his Bible uh, with him. And uh, what's going to happen is he's going to set it right here on this podium and he's not going to open it up. And you think, well, that's, you know, that doesn't sound very Bayou City. He's not going to open it up because he will not need to open it up uh, because he has the whole thing practically memorized. I will be opening mine up today because I don't have it memorized Uh, and just a Not only will the words that he says be inspiring, but he himself is inspiring. So make sure you're here next Sunday. And then I especially want to invite you next Sunday night, Dr. Sloan will be hosting a lecture and a Q&A at our Cypress campus, which is not that far away. I know it sounds like it's in the suburbs. It's 17 minutes away from here. I know that because I drive it all the time. Uh, And so he's going to bring us a a prepared talk. But then for the remaining time, we'll be able to ask him any question that we want. And he's a brilliant man, uh, especially questions concerning the scripture, because we're starting a new series today, as you can see, called the Holy Bible. And it's the Holy Bible with a question mark, because here's what I know. I know that most of us have confidence today in patterning, patterning our life according to the scripture. But if someone asked us why we have that confidence, We're not sure. We're confident enough to do what it says. Not confident enough to know why we do what it says. The other thing that I know is that there is a difference between offering admiration to Jesus and offering allegiance to Jesus. Lots of people admire Jesus. They admire his teaching about the poor. They admire his heart for those who are persecuted. They admire admire his take on life. But Jesus asked for our allegiance. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross daily and follow me. And I believe the invisible line in the sand between offering admiration towards Jesus and offering allegiance to Jesus is how you view the Bible. I was a religion major in college. I actually had a double major, religion and economics. How those two things synergize. Well, they don't synergize. But a part of my religion major was a philosophy class. You may say, well, Curtis, you don't seem that uh, philosophical. And it's because I fell asleep 
in that class every week because it was at 8 a.m. I am of the belief that no important conversation can or should be had before 9 a.m. The only contribution that I made to that class was to not snore when I was sleeping. But there were a few things that slipped in by osmosis. And what I learned was that there are some fundamental and underlying questions to our civilization and to humanity. And I believe one of those questions you see in your listening guide. If God exists, does he speak? If God exists, does he speak? And if God speaks, what does he say? And if he's speaking, what does that have to do with the Bible? All of us will have to wrestle with what we think this book is. Is it just ink? Or is it more than that? If it's just ink then we can choose the parts that we're comfortable with. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. He took the Bible and he copied and pasted the parts that he liked and he removed everything else. If it's just ink, we can emphasize the parts that fit our agenda. In the 1700s and the 1800s in this country, the Bible was used to justify slavery. If it's just ink, we can apply or ignore any parts we want. Even pastors do this. Six or seven years ago, Amanda and I went to a conference for pastors and their wives. And this one particular Friday, we heard from 12 different pastors, all 12 cursed throughout their sermons. Now, I didn't know that you could do that. I grew up Baptist. You can't drink or curse if you're Baptist. You can drink if you're Presbyterian. But there's this little verse in the scripture that says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? So cursing is not that big of a deal. If we're ranking the list of sins, that seems like a relatively minor one. Why? Because we pick and choose the parts that we apply and the parts that we ignore, even pastors, even this pastor. And if it's just ink, then we can do that. Because if it's just ink, it's just a recommendation, Uh, This sermon is going to be pretty short because uh, as soon as I'm done, I'm getting in my car and Amanda and I are driving to the airport because we are going to Hawaii. I don't know what you're doing with the rest of your day, but that's what I'm doing with the rest of my day. It's our 15th uh, anniversary, which is great. No, 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 no. The Mosleys here have been married 56 years, so 15... 15 years is uh, elementary school. It's elementary school. So, uh, but uh, it's our anniversary. And so we're going to Hawaii. And as we've been preparing, we've been asking for recommendations for food and things to do. And so people have said, you know, you need to eat at this restaurant. You need to have breakfast at this place. You need to go and, you know, park along the side of the road and then hike to see this waterfall. And as soon as I heard the word hike, I'm like, well, I'm not doing that (laughs) because... I'm not exercising on vacation. I want to roll down my window and see a waterfall. But you know how recommendations go. Some people recommend very casually. This is really great. You should definitely try it. Other people recommend very strongly. They grab you by the shoulders and they say, you have to do this. This changed my life. This is going to change your life. But at the end of the day, they're just recommendations. So we'll decide 
if we want to do them or not. And if this is just ink, it's a recommendation. And if it's a recommendation, then we get to decide. Will I do it or will I not? But what if it was more than ink? Here's what the scripture has to say about the scripture. Second Timothy chapter three, let's start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In your listening guide, it says all scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible, of course, was not written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. That phrase breathed out by God, one Greek word, theonoustos, means that he inspired it. He breathed out the scripture that may jog our biblical mind back to the beginning in Genesis chapter two. Keep a finger in second Timothy and turn with me to the very, very front of your Bible. It says in verse seven, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is how Genesis tells us where we came from. God took some dirt, fashioned it in the shape of the man, breathed on it, became Adam. Does not seem like that big of a miracle to us. We've read that before. You heard that when you were a tiny child, but it's pretty remarkable now, just to show you how remarkable it is, I thought we could try it here today. So I got some dirt. <laughs> we'll fashion it into the shape of a person. Got a head there. You can't see this. If we were fancy, we'd have some camera over my shoulder, but we're not. Some arms, some legs. We'll put some hair on there because it was the beginning in the good old days. <laughs> Before some of us experienced the curse of sin. I could breathe on this dirt and it would still be dirt. You could come up, breathe on this dirt and it would still be dirt. But when God breathed on it, it became us because he has power. So when we talk about the scripture being breathed out by God, he has infused it with his power. The word of God in your listening guide is an expression of his power. That's not how we interact with the Bible, most of us. We interact with the Bible like we interact with the tax code. I called our accountants earlier this week and said, can you give me a copy of the tax law? And they said, well, they don't sell the copies anymore. It's all on the internet. And if you really want it all, we need to start printing it today. This is Thursday so that it will be ready on Sunday because I didn't know this. Now you do. It would be in binders that would be this tall. 
filled with pages, pages, thousands of pages, the tax law in the United States of America. And we read the Bible like we would read the tax law. It's long. It's complicated. It is a necessary truth. Best read and studied by the experts. And concerning our day-to-day, kind of boring. And that's how we treat the scripture. It's important. It's a necessary truth. Because there's someone somewhere, an invisible hand with a stick of discipline holding us accountable for practicing it. Most of the time, we hope we stay off their radar, whether it would be the Lord himself or the IRS. We don't really want them to know that we exist. But we know we should do this. We know we have to comply. But we engage experts because it's so complicated. It's so long. It's so hard to understand. And that's how we interact with the scripture or we interact with the scripture in the way that other religions interact with their holy books. It's a record of history and it's regulations. Tells me some stuff about my religion. And it tells me how I need to regulate myself. But what if that was not the reason why God breathed out the scripture? What if he didn't breathe it out to regulate you What if he spoke it so that you could be transformed? Not just by the knowledge, but by the actual word itself. Because when God breathes something out, he breathes it out in power. That's what the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be, this is God speaking, that goes out from my mouth It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which it's sent. Accomplish and purpose. God never speaks without power. And when God displays his power, he always does it for a purpose. We're asking ourselves today, why should we read the scripture? Most of us are answering that because I need to know more about the Bible. I need to know more about God. I need to know more about Jesus. We think that's the goal, to know more. But these passages tell us that's not the goal. Knowledge is not the goal. The goal is an interaction with the power of God because God has a purpose for your life. And we see what that purpose is back in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hopefully you kept a finger there. This is what it says. In verse 15. That you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 17. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In your listening guide, his power expressed through his word results in two things, salvation and ministry. If you have someone that you love and care about who's far from God right now, and you find yourself saying, I I wish they just could experience what I've experienced. I wish they could know 
what I would know. I wish they would come to believe in Christ the way that I have and have been affected by that. One of the best things that you can do is you can go to Barnes and Noble and you can buy them a Bible. Don't buy them the cheap Bible. That makes Jesus look bad. Buy them a nice Bible. And you say, hey, let's read this together. If you go to that friend and you say, you know what, I just wanna be upfront. My goal is to convert you to my religion. They will say, thank you, but no, thank you. But I'm guessing for most of us, if we were intentional, kind, and said, hey, I bought you this Bible. I've got one too. Let's read it together. I bet most of your friends would say, okay. And the scripture says, that just the act of taking it in, being acquainted with it, makes us wise for salvation. You may say, well, I, I'm, I've been saved. I, I was saved, believed in Jesus when I was a seven-year-old boy or a 17-year-old young man or in my 20s. We never outgrow our need for the simple gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus. Because Philippians chapter two tells us, you and I, we need to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Working it out. Working out how and what salvation means in every aspect of my life. Working out what salvation means with cancer. Working out what salvation means in my parenting. Working out what salvation means in my marriage vows. Working out what salvation means in the job I love and in the job I hate. Working out my salvation in wealth and working out my salvation in poverty. Uh, Last week, there was a young couple in our church who had a nine-day-old baby, Ella Grace, nine days old. She was sluggish parents could tell something just wasn't quite right. They took her to the doctor. The doctor immediately checked her into the hospital. Hospital checked her out, said, we're not equipped to give her what she needs. She needs to be life flighted in a helicopter from our hospital down to the medical center. So these parents had to work out their salvation as they drove from one hospital to the next while their little girl flew in a helicopter. which by the way, the doctor said after heart surgery, which is what she had to have, that she would be at Texas Children's for six to eight weeks. She was in there seven days and is happily at home right now. But those are the moments that you have to work out your salvation. What does it mean? that I'm a follower of Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus has sacrificed his life on my behalf? What does his blood mean? What does his broken body mean in every aspect of my life? Why should I read the scripture? Because I gotta work out my salvation and it makes me wise for my salvation. And in verse 17, because it equips us for every good work. You know, one thing I've been thinking about recently is that the Old Testament is filled with angelic encounters. It's just filled with the angel of the Lord here and the angel of the Lord there and the angel of the Lord said this and the angel of the Lord did that. And even the gospels begin with a lot of angels. Angel comes to tell Mary, she's going to give birth to Jesus. An angel comes to Zechariah and says, you're gonna give birth to John the Baptist. Angel appears to the shepherds. Say, 
the Savior has been born. But as you move through the New Testament and into the book of Acts, we see these angelic encounters growing less and less and less and less because, because God was reassigning his messengers. In the Old Testament, his messengers were the angels. And in the New Testament, his messengers are us, followers of Jesus. That's why we need to be equipped and competent for every good work, 2 Timothy says. We've spent most of our time thinking the goal of the Bible is knowledge. It's not the goal of the scripture. The goal of the scripture is work. So if right now you would say, you know what, I'm not serving Jesus' kingdom in any meaningful way. I'm not laying down my life. I'm not sacrificing my time. I'm not using my talent or ability to serve Jesus' kingdom. Then I would bet all of the money that I have that you are not reading the Bible. Because it says, if you are reading God's word, listening to God's word with faith, You'll work, you'll minister, and you'll be competent to minister. Your neighbors should know that you read your Bible. Not because you put it on social media, not because you go to a coffee shop and you rightly place it on the, with your cup next to it. I mean, this is from Sonic, so we wanna put just the green part in the picture. Get down. That's not why. They need to know and see that you read your Bible in the way that you are, in fact, a neighbor. Your coworkers should know that you read the Bible, not because you tell them, but because they see the evidence of it, because it's equipping you and motivating you and motivating me for competent ministry. Why read the Bible? Because God has a purpose for your life for salvation and for ministry because you need his power to accomplish it and because he has breathed out his scripture and laced it with his power even the mere act of reading it is changing us I grew up in church and So I've owned a Bible for as long as I can remember. The very first one I had, I had watercolor pictures of Jesus. But you know, as happens, you hear enough sermons, you stop listening to sermons. So by the time I was 16, 17 years old, I didn't really want that much to do with it. I mean, I believed in Jesus. And you know, when it came down to the big stuff like heaven and hell, like, I was still choosing his path. But as far as just actually practicing and doing it, I was not that interested. Really had a hard heart towards it. I would come to church, but I would sit in the, as far back as I possibly could. And not that that's what you guys were doing back there, but I would sit back as far. I would wear a baseball cap if I could get away with that. And I'd pull it way down over my eyes just so everybody knew I'm not really here. And that was my posture towards the things of God. This Christian band was coming through my hometown and 
the last thing I wanted to do in that season of my life is to go and see a Christian band. There was no credibility in that, but my sister wanted to go. And so uh, my mom showed up at the basketball arena that I was in early that day because it was uh, first come first serve seating. And my sister wanted to sit on the front row. That's where she was at in her life. And, uh, and so my mom woke up early in the morning with the lawn chairs and was one of the first people in line there. I spent all day and that afternoon she called and said, uh, what are you doing tonight? I had just gotten my driver's license. So I was 16 years old and, um, you know, that's freedom. It's freedom, freedom to do kind of whatever I wanted to do. And so uh, she said, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, nothing. I'm just hanging out at home. This is pre-cell phone days. You know, some of that's hard to remember, but pre-cell phone days. And, and uh, she said, well, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I don't know. I'm gonna find something to do. I'm gonna call this person. I'm gonna call that person. We're gonna do something fun. She says, well, if you can't find anything to do, you should come up here. I'm saving seats for your sister, save a seat for you. And I said, I am not coming to see a Christian band. Just not interested. Thank you. No, thank you. Not coming. She said, well, if you change your mind, you know, here's where we're, here's where we're going to be. I said, oh. So I got on the phone. I put it on the wall and hung it up and then pulled it back off the wall, <laughs> dialed some numbers. And I called every friend that I had. What are you doing tonight? 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 All busy. No one could hang. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go. And so I drove up there, found my mom in line. They opened the doors and it was just mad rush. Well, I was not in a mad rush because I didn't really want to be there. So I actually got disconnected from my mom and my sister and all the people from the church that were there. And I said by myself, I don't know why I thought this was fine. No cell phone. So there's no texting. Hey, where are you at? I said by myself. I didn't know the person on my right and I didn't know the person on my left. The Christian band came up and they were good. They were not horrible as I thought that they would probably be because they were put Christian in front of the name band. And, uh, and then this guy got up and spoke. He sp- spoke from the Bible, but he talked about making right choices and wrong choices. That was it. Really simple message. And so I'm listening to this, make good choices and not bad choices. And I thought, you know, one bad choice that I'm making right now in my life is that I make fun of people a lot. I think it's my spiritual gift. I am good at making fun of people. And that's probably a bad thing. I'm probably hurting their feelings. And so uh, this week, I'm going to try not to make fun of anyone at school. I just at school, outside of school, I'm free. But this was my big commitment to God. I'm not going to make fun of people this week. I'm going to do my best. No, come forward. No, cry. No, raise my hands. Jesus is so great. Just I'm just not going to try to make fun of people. And so I did, I went to school on Monday and I just tried to guard my mouth. Tuesday, did the same thing. On Wednesday, I came home from school. My mom is cooking dinner. And I think, I I wonder where my Bible is. I didn't even know where it was. It's not an exaggeration to say, it probably had been years since I even looked at it not even read it in my room I found it it was a black King James version Bible that my grandparents had given me sometime along the way and and I opened it up and I started reading I didn't know where to read I didn't know there was no online reading plan I just picked a random spot and started to read 
And I am a different person because of that Wednesday afternoon. What I wanna tell you, the, the Bible, it's, it's, it's not, its primary purpose is not to help you know more. God breathed it out and it is laced in every word with his power. So if you don't like where your life is right now, if you don't like how you're just picking and choosing which parts of this faith thing that you're going to play, read the Bible, not so you'll know what to do, but because in its pages is the very power of God, which can accomplish his purpose for your life. Don't read it so you can know more and brag more and tweet more and Instagram more and Facebook more. Read it because you need to be a different person. Read it because you need to be transformed and not regulated. Read it because it's more than just ink. So God, help us. God, help us. Speak to us through the pages of your scripture. I pray that when we read it, we're hearing your voice with your power behind it. Thank you that it's more than just ink.